All right, so another Bitcoin basic. Uh, one of the building blocks for Bitcoin is who works on Bitcoin? You have like all these people saying that there's more innovation over here, more innovation over there, whatever. And maybe Bitcoin's slow, Bitcoin does this, Bitcoin's that. So here's the reality. Bitcoin is, at, at time of recording, 12 years old in terms of actually being a network. The people that work on Bitcoin compete for the best ideas and to put the best ideas out there, they use open source. So open source is really interesting because it basically says that everything about Bitcoin has to be visible and auditable. So anybody, even some hack like me that's not a coder, can look at it and download it and see what's happening. And you can see all these different little, you can see the whole language. It's just all open for you to see. And the interesting thing about that is it encourages people to participate in an open call it Socratic manner, where they'll have conversations using logic and not necessarily emotion. The key here is how do they improve something? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, they came up with the BIP system. The BIP system is basically an improvement you know, proposal. And it set, you come up with an idea and you say, okay, I, I think we should try this. And then you come up, it's come up with your own little white paper and it might be short, it might be long, and it has to do with how transactions go, how wallets can be aggregated, how UTXOs or you know multi-sig or all these other things. A lot of these things, these improvements have come through what's called a BIP process. And the BIP process uh, basically runs on GitHub, and the guys that are contributing are called core developers. Core developers are working on literally Bitcoin core, and they are coming up with proposals, and they post the proposal, and if people have a consensus, if they like it, they talk about it in an open manner and they have an argument about it. And what I mean by argument is more like a formative argument, like logically, like, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Not like you're an idiot, your team sucks, you like, you know, boo, go home. I think one thing that's really interesting from the more, I, the deeper I get into Bitcoin is seeing how the core devs use these sort of like ideas. They'll put these ideas out there maybe on Twitter or something like that. And they'll, they'll kind of fish for responses. And that will kind of, maybe be like a temperature gauge. And then from there, they go into a full-on BIP. But Taproot, for instance, recently activated, and I believe Taproot was a three-year-old idea, meaning it took three years to gain you know, uh, consensus and also the, the full buy-in from everybody. And what happens is when there's a new version of Bitcoin, because this BIP has been integrated now, then you choose to download it or not download it. And this is a huge key. Because if you like the version of Bitcoin that you're running, you can keep running that, that, that version. You don't have to upgrade if you don't want to. All Bitcoin uh, iterations are reverse compatible. So theoretically, you could have some heathen Luddite in the woods running 10 versions ago, like, you know, running like 2014 Bitcoin if you wanted to. And that could be what he feels like the most comfortable when he's transacting. But if he's going to do that, he's going to have to run his own full node. And a full node is basically when you download Bitcoin Core, whatever version it is, and you maintain the security of that on your own computer. You do not need a stack of Bitcoin to do this. You need about three, four, five hundred bucks worth of computer equipment, and you could either build your own using a Raspberry Pi and a hard drive and some other stuff, or you could just run it on an old laptop or a new laptop, whatever you want to do. The most complicated part of that is the uh, is literally downloading the whole blockchain. So. When you do a uh, initial block download, I, uh, IBD, 
yeah, you're, you're going to basically download every transaction that's ever happened. And this is like really a key to understanding exactly how open source Bitcoin is to say that every transaction that's ever happened is still there. So if you wanted to search it, you could basically figure out like using this weird conspiracy, always sunny in Philadelphia, red yarn chart of like where everything goes and where everything's come from. And every time that you transact on the blockchain, you actually see sort of tattoo on that coin. So you can see that, hey, that coin has been, this is when it was mined initially. This is when it was basically born. And this is where it went. And this is all the places it went. And now it's in your wallet. And that's kind of cool. It's also interesting because, you know, it explains that there's a lever of power between the developers, the nodes, and the miners. Those are three different things, okay? So the developers are working on the programming. The nodes are sort of validating the programming. And also along with that, they are agreeing to run those programs. And then the miners have their own version of that. So uh, over the course of the last couple of years, there's been political tensions within Bitcoin where you'll have one sect of Bitcoin to say, oh, we need to do this. Whether it's There's a really good book called The Block Size Wars that goes into this whole thing about how some people wanted to increase the block size so you could fit more transactions in it or maybe run it faster or all these other things or smaller blocks to run it faster. So there's various other cryptocurrencies that have tried different versions of these different things because it's a program. It's software. You can change. You can say this. You can say that. If there is a reason why you wanted to shrink something or make something bigger or make something require more confirmations, that goes through the the GitHub open source BIPs process, and then the node runners, like people like me that have just a laptop running in their basement somewhere, um, we we either say yes or no. The miners either say yes or no. And there's a there's a, a sort of three branch system with that where you you basically have the inability for one corner of it to monopolize it and take it over. So. Uh, Taproot effectively was activated through a speedy trial, which is to say that, hey, if we're going to signal for this, if, it, if we say yes, and it's basically there was one, one element of the code that said that one output was going to be a yes or a no as a default. And that was basically what allowed Taproot to activate was that you had a bunch of people saying, yeah, we like the new thing. We're downloading the new thing. We're running the new thing. And as your computer is connected, just like Napster back in the day or BitTorrent, you have other computers that you're connected to. So a node, in a way, is is like your voting booth. That's your way of saying that, hey, I'm participating in the network and validating. And it's a sort of, it's not like a profitable thing to run a node. It's not, you're not staking anything. It's, it's not like Lightning where you're actually funneling transactions. A node is basically for you to run your own transactions and for you to receive. Because you can use your node as a wallet if you want. And that's one of the more interesting things about, about Bitcoin. So when you hear these when you hear these things in general about, oh, some guy lost his laptop or his hard drive or something, and there was 10,000 or 20,000 Bitcoin on it, it's because initially the people that were running, that were mining on their laptops ha- had a node on their laptop and had their wallet on their laptop. So their laptop was really like their whole thing. Now we're seeing specialization where people have a hot wallet on their phone or a lightning wallet on their phone, and then like a little ledger or a treasure or something like that, or a cold card. And then they'll have their node and then they'll have mining equipment. So everything's sort of specialized. It's just like Pangea in geography. Like originally all the continents were sort of like some blob in the middle. And then because of plate tectonics, they all spread out. And in a way, the plate tectonics of Bitcoin uh, are time and money. 
And as the incentivization has risen to produce something to sell so you can basically get Bitcoin, people will make better stuff. They'll make better miners, they'll make better, better wallets, better lightning wallets, better in integrations. So you're having vendors now that are building basically plug and play stuff, uh, which is totally new to Bitcoin and did not exist at the beginning is I guess a better way to say it. Everything at the beginning was like, oh, here's your, it'd be like going to a restaurant and you say, oh, I'll have the fettuccine Alfredo, carb, or I'll have the fettuccine carbonara, right? And the carbonara's got a little bacon in it, whatever. And they would basically, Bitcoin in 2009 was, here's your raw bacon, here's your eggs, here's your, you know, uh, flour, uh, here's your butter, here's your cream, like make it yourself. And now you're able to basically go to the restaurant, order carbonara, and they just bring it to your plate. And that's the difference. That's the big difference that's happened in the last basically decade or so. And it really is interesting to see what could possibly happen in the next 10 years as more people are building more layers. Lightning, for instance, is a layer two. But eventually there will be a layer three or a layer four or whatever, or different side chains where people use Bitcoin to transact in a different way than they do now because they can you can write smart contracts on bitcoin it's just that it's just easier to do straight up deals and that's really the way it works today but if we're buying real estate through bitcoin and stuff like that you might be able to write escrow contracts or anything like that and and that would have to be a new layer or a new bip and that's that's really where it's interesting to see like what these guys are doing the challenge of Bitcoin is that it's 24-7. So if something happens, you know, like it's red alarms, like everybody's freaking out. That's one of the reasons why Bitcoin people are so focused on security and Bitcoin de core developers are so focused on security. And that's why they haven't integrated some of these other, let's say, more crypto things like flash loans. They've decided that the safety of the users is more important than the novelty of the style of use. And that to me is one of the reasons why I'm such a Bitcoin freak, because I feel like I don't want any risk to my Bitcoin. And so the less risk that I have, you know, there's always going to be some risk, right? I could get hit by a bus and like my phone could fall out and I might not find it. And someone has my lightning wallet at that point. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's an element of that, of the sort of chaos of earth. But you can build more on Bitcoin and use more money through your transactions on Bitcoin and be more confident about your transactions on Bitcoin in general. The reason why its market cap is higher is because it's stable and it does the things that it does and it does those really well. And it might not even do those as fast as some of these other things, but it's effectively the better place to be. And that's the reason why it's crowded. And every block has thousands of transactions in it because people want to transact in Bitcoin. That's as simple as it gets. And the reason why some of these other ones will maybe say something like, oh, well, you can transact faster on this chain. It's like, yeah, if there's nobody on the freeway because nobody wants to go to that place that everything's pointed at, then yeah, you can drive 150 miles an hour. It's no big deal. But the reason why there's gridlock in New York or Los Angeles or some of these metro cities is because there's cool places to be and there's a lot of stuff going on there. And it's so in a weird way, the traffic and the crowding and the, the competition is really a better indicator than speed because it's really not like a cohesive argument to say, oh, this is faster, so it's better. Because there's a lot of things that are really fast, but they break down really easily or they're just not as reliable. And I'm using real world examples. I'm a car dealer, so I would rather have the reliable car that gets me there most of the time, especially in a race, because race cars are all relatively fast. Transactions are all relatively fast. They're all way faster than using Visa or something like that, which usually takes two or three days to settle or a wire. Um, or a paper check. And Bitcoin really functions as this like 
much better thing because of the efforts of the core developers and because of the distribution of the nodes and because of the competition of the miners. You need all three of those things to really build the ecosystem so everybody's leaning in, competing in an honest way, in an open way, and that's what makes Bitcoin better every day. Every transaction that goes through Bitcoin is basically like one little piece of wood that's getting nailed to the boat to make the boat more sturdy. And the longer it runs, the better it's going to be.